As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to The Phil Hay Show. This Athletic Show is brought to you in association with The Square Ball. I'm Dan from The Square Ball. With me is Michael, also from The Square Ball. Hello. And from The Athletic, here's Phil Hay. Hello. You go away for a week, Phil, and all hell breaks loose. Is this the ultimate jinx, you think? Mm. I mean, I was off for half term, went down to London with my youngest for a few days. So I did miss Liverpool away, which obviously I was devastated about in hindsight, having seen the score. And yeah, the first week I've had off since coming back from Myop, and at the end of it, they sacked me also. Yeah. Could not quite make that up, really. Well, we'll get into all that in just a second. Need to just mention that if you're not subscribed to The Athletic yet, you can get all the articles around this, a huge amount of stuff that's been written, um, some stuff that's not by you on there. Um, who's the guy who's written the piece this week that I really, really liked about everybody needs a bailser in their life? Nick Miller wrote that's that. It. Nick Miller is, is one of our writers. The gist of it was basically... If you've had a BLC at your club, you're extremely lucky and there are many, many clubs out there who would like not only the coaching and the tactical side of it, the performance side of it, the results side of it, but the cultural and aesthetic side of it, which has been absolutely unique. You can sign up to The Athletic right now. Pound a month for six months. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod for that. Right then, so let's start at the start of this one then. You missed Liverpool, then we went straight into Spurs and it's been a fairly awful week in terms of football, but it feels like all that's gone out of the window. So should we go from kind of Spurs weekend and see where we end up? Yeah, I guess to cut to the chase with this, the first that we heard of rumblings of a change would have been Thursday night when it was said to us that that what was in the pipeline was Bielsa leaving, Jesse Marsh coming in and a change coming at the end of a week in which it had gone badly, obviously against Manchester United and Liverpool. And I think expectation against Spurs was very limited as well. We weren't 100% certain about the information at that point, but it did transpire to be true. And it became very obvious, I think, Saturday morning, but particularly during the game, just before and, and during it on Saturday, that it was going to happen. And essentially that, that faith had been lost in him in the boardroom and that we would be seeing a change, despite the fact that I think even going back three weeks, four weeks, I mean, in fact, at the end of the transfer window, when the message out of Leeds at the end of a quiet transfer window was that they felt that the confidence in the squad to stay up was still there. You know, they, they hadn't made any additions to it, hadn't done anything significantly to improve the squad. But Bielsa was confident that they would survive, and they were. You know, and, and the fact that they did do nothing in the window was almost a vote of confidence in, in what was there. Not to say that the squad were performing well, but that ultimately, when it came to it, it would be 17th or, or better. I started to sense quite a shift after the Everton game. Looking back... I think the Newcastle game was absolutely pivotal in the sense that had they won that game, you would have felt as if they were pulling a long way away from the bottom three and, and pulling away in, in a way that was that was going to keep them clear um, in the end. You know, that was the sort of game, that and Everton, were the two games that really felt like opportunities. The difference in the Newcastle game was that they should have won it. And okay, they you know, they were picked off towards the end, but they had a lot of chances. They had a lot of the game. They dominated Newcastle. They actually played well in, in spells of that. And I think it was a, a kind of unlucky day, which Bielsa ultimately paid for further down the line. The difference with Everton was that the performance was extremely poor. The lineup, the, the uh, system that Bielsa went for with Matthias Cleek as um, defensive midfield, even he criticised that afterwards and said, you know, that, that was a mistake um, on my part. 
I felt you could start to feel the prevailing wind saying there's going to be a change in the summer. This is starting to lead now towards Bielsa going in the summer and somebody else coming in. And it was not a secret by then that they liked Jesse Marsh. There were other, others being linked as well, like Valverde and obviously Carlos Cobran over at Huddersfield, who's having a good time with things. But it does seem, looking back, as if the dial increased pretty dramatically after Manchester United. I, I felt like it accelerated really, really quickly last week to the extent where at home to Manchester United, I don't think any of us were really sitting in the stands thinking this could all be over in a week. But I went and telling Road on, on Saturday thinking that it was probably going to be his last day. It, does that coincide with the 49ers being in town then? Obviously, they would have been talking about business. That, that goes without saying, because why wouldn't you is the obvious question. So uh, do you think their presence has pushed this one forward? You shouldn't forget that they were in town for the Manchester United game, which was the biggest game of the season. I mean, everybody was here for that. And I think everybody would have been here for that, irrespective of whether it was this week of all weeks or whether it had been pre-Christmas or at another stage of the season where, where things were more under control. They'll obviously have, have been involved, but I don't think they alone will have pushed this at all. I mean, once you got into the statement on Sunday when Leeds announced it at 11 o'clock and, and cut through, the devil's always in the detail with these things. So once you cut through the eulogies, you know, from Randrazani and Arthur about how fantastic Bells had been and how difficult a decision it was, you got down to brass tacks, which was Randrazani saying, we need to protect our Premier League status, Arthur saying exact words, we, we cannot hide from results. In other words, we think we're going to be relegated. We think that the way things are going we think we're going down. And and that, I think, was the crux of it, that, that by that point, the feeling in the boardroom, whether they were right or wrong and whether they'll be proven to be right or wrong, was that this was heading one way, which was was into the, the bottom three. But the 49ers have a 46% stake in the club. And, and as we've spoken about loads of times, they have the scope to, to stretch that to the point where they become majority shareholder and, and actually take control of the club. So there's no way in which they would not have been involved or, or consulted in this. But I think to suggest that in general, the board wanted to keep Bielsa, but the 49ers were pushing this would, would be wrong. I think as a complete group, they saw the need to change. Just to pick you up on one minor detail there, you said they had a 46%, it's 44. Somebody will correct you. They um, will so, do. Sorry, so I'll, Rand- do it, I'll do it now. Randazani has 56, they have 44. That is absolutely correct. And those 2% are, of course, vital. In terms of the club's handling of it, it felt a little bit like the story kind of got away from them to a degree because, because the story ran pretty much on the final whistle. Where does something like that come from and how much awareness do the club have of something like that running? One of the things that was strange about the Saturday evening and on Twitter, and it was no no secret at all that we and I were getting hammered on, on Twitter on, on Saturday evening. One of the things that was being asked was, did the club leak this to you? And, you know, a lot of people were saying that in their view, it must have come from the club, which I can say categorically that it didn't. And the question I would ask to that is, what is the upside for the club of leaking a story like that to us I don't see it really and um, because as you say we the reason we ran the story was because we had it and we knew it was true and it comes back to that thing of if you if you know or suspect strongly or confidently enough that leads us shaping to replace somebody like Bielsa with another coach then as far as I'm concerned people do deserve to know that and people should know that that is kind of the whole the whole point of of the job I mean someone said to me for example is this the club testing the water putting this out there I mean that is probably the PR strategy I would recommend least to anybody because as soon as you intimate that you might be sacking a manager, you're as good as sacking him. It's you know, game over, isn't it? Yeah, right? you'll remember it with David Hockaday. Um, and it's a totally, totally different case. That is what happened. That Chilino was saying publicly, I was thinking of sacking this guy after Watford, but then I decided, no, do you know what? I'll keep him and, and carry on. But you, you're pretty much admitting that your faith is gone or, or your confidence is very low. So it therefore becomes a matter of time in the same way as it did with, with Brian McDermott. Once Chilino came in, there was no way Chilino was going to roll back from having tried to do what he did on Mad Friday to suddenly say, no, do you know what? I'll give this guy a chance. It was always going to always going to end that way. But I know people were un- unhappy with, with how it went and, and how it happened, but it was one of those where we felt like we, we had the story and we had to publish it. And what's your response to like the, the flack that you received? It's fair enough if people are not happy in the way it was done. The way I sort of look at it is that if you go through transfer window after transfer window, the, the constant thing is the question for news about signings and, you know, developments, players going, players coming. Any news, that, any news Phil? <laughs> yeah, it goes and, back to that, that funny cliche, doesn't it? You know, the, the response is never will, will only run things when it's official. People people don't want to particularly wait um, for it to be, to be official. And it wasn't official from Leeds until 11 o'clock on the Sunday morning, but it was very apparent on Saturday afternoon 
that it was potentially happening and that it was serious to the point where it wasn't just a case of the board sitting saying, maybe at some point we're going to have to make a change here. Because to be quite honest, you could have taken a flyer by saying Leeds are starting to doubt Bielsa or his position's in doubt, they're starting to, to ask questions because of the form. You know, it would you could kind of put two and two together and say there must be a little bit of concern about this. But the message was they are seriously, seriously thinking of replacing him after Spurs. You know, they're on the back of this result, there's a very, very high likelihood that there will be another manager coming in to replace the man who's been their best manager in the past, you know, 30 years. And I think th- there would be an argument now between him and Wilkinson for who holds more affection. I, I mean, Bielsa is, is right, at, you know, right at the top of the tree below Reavy, um, as far as I can see and, and as far as I can tell. So from our point of view, it was important to say what was happening. What do you think of the assertion that something was broken inside the club? Because that was contained within what Radrazani said. It's interesting this because... It doesn't seem to me that there's any sense in making a change of this nature if you still feel like the players are very much with it, especially with 12 games to go, because it's going to be a challenge and we will we'll get on to talking properly about Jesse Marsh. It's going to be a challenge for him to change a great deal, particularly quickly. It's not to say that he can't change plenty because, you know, there are still two months of the season, two, three months of the season to go. Uh, so it's not as if it ends in three weeks' time and, and they desperately need a couple of results right here and now, but they do need results quickly. And I think if the feeling had been that it was working and the players were still 100... The players were still with it physically, there's no doubt about that. And people have said to me that the running stats are still as good as they've they've ever been. You know, there wasn't a... a there was no mutiny for Bielsa at all. But the players were feeling the pressure of the fact that the tactical approach wasn't working and it was leading to four goals conceded against Man United, six away at Liverpool, four at home to Spurs and, and the doubts that creep in about whether it's going to turn around and, and whether whether they'll fix it. And Bielsa said himself afterwards, I don't think that they've given up on me in the sense that they're not trying, but I cannot pretend that this is working because it isn't, you know, and people can see quite obviously that it isn't. You can look at the results and he was asked afterwards about the result against Spurs and he said, look, I can't even say it's just about this one game. It's about a sequence that is put put pressure on on him, on, on the squad. It was sad to see him say that he felt he could turn it around and then go. I think had he said, look, I honestly don't know if I can if I can bring this to heel, then I think more of you would have thought, well, in that case, it definitely has to be somebody else who does this. But I think when he said, of course, when he was asked, you know, can you still get a grip of this? I, I think he must have meant it. There's been a story of the players having approached Bielsa and asked him, to change the tactics. Do you know if there's any truth or merit in that story? Nobody has said that to me, um, which is not to say that it isn't true, but I haven't been I haven't been told that. I think, like with a lot of things with Bielsa, it's a bit of a fool's errand that in as much as he just isn't he isn't gonna change. You know, the one of the things that was frustrating the club was the fact that the, the injuries obviously this season have been horrendous. But training wasn't in any way easing off. On the contrary, it was intensifying, you know, so motherball was no longer once a week. Motherball could be a couple of times a week. It, it could sometimes be more. So it was putting big physical strain on the players. But as I've said many times, if you go to Bielsa and say, you need to ease off training, Bielsa will say, well, that isn't what I do. In the same way as if you say to him, you need to take these players in the transfer window. I don't need to take anybody I don't want. And, you know, that is, that's autonomy for you. And one of the things you have to remember through all this, and I think we said this last week as well, some of the stuff that is now being held up as an issue is equally, you know, they are things that made Bielsa's team brilliant. They are, they are some of the things that made it some of the best football any of us have ever seen, certainly in the flesh. But, you know, I mean, if I think back to the two championship seasons, which to my mind were peak Bielsa, partly because he had a crowd, but also because you could just see it developing and growing and becoming this total juggernaut. It's like nothing else I've ever seen, I don't think. It, it has been some of the best football I've ever had the chance to to sit and watch. So it would be ridiculous to sit now and say he shouldn't have done this, he shouldn't have done that. I think when you come under pressure and the results are poor, that is when you have to ask yourself if you have to adapt. And to be fair to him, he's gone out on his shield, hasn't he? He's done exactly what he said he was going to do. He said he would never bend from plan A and give or take, he never did, even towards the end where the pressure was coming on. He said he would stick to his principles when it came to recruitment, when it came to picking players, fitness, training, everything else. And he did right to the very end. And, and I, I actually think that's a bit of a virtue, really. I think that's part of the sadness of it is that when we first arrived at the club, there was everyone telling us that this won't work and he'll be gone within 
a week, a month, a year. And, and he confounded all these expectations. And he's, you can't play that style in the championship, as Steve Evans was kind of famously saying upon his arrival. He felt like we were knocking down all these barriers and he, he won't stay for another year. And then he did. And then you can't do that in the Premier League. And we did. And it was brilliant. And it's, it is a shame that it has eventually come to the fact that, well, maybe it isn't working. Because it, it just felt like we'd managed to somehow stumble across a perfect combination and a small squad was fine with us and we didn't need any more players and Stuart Dallas could cover every position and maybe at the end it's not quite worked and we do look a bit tired. And I think what's confusing is that even until a week ago it was still working in part like the the equaliser against Man United. That minute is one of the best minutes I've enjoyed under Bielsa and yet another week later and he's gone. And, but, and that result contributed to it. Yeah, but it it's come to the point where you were having to score five or six, if not seven, in every game to win it, and that you know that is that is where you start to to hit the wall, you know, because it is becoming so difficult. I mean, against against Tottenham, the game was there, and then it had just gone, and again so quickly, and that seemed to be the recurring theme, you know, two 0 down away at Everton and one 0 up at Villa, but then suddenly in a flash, three one behind and and up against it. I sort of tweeted on Saturday during the game to say that all, all the punch resistance seemed to have gone from Leeds. As soon as they were getting clobbered, they were really, really wobbly on the legs. And it, it did mean that big score lines were incoming constantly. One of the comments that really struck me after he, he went while they were in the process of sacking him was people saying, and, and some people won't actually have meant this, but I think some other people will have done, that they would happily have gone down with Bales in charge. They would rather have let this play out to the summer and one of the topics that kept coming up all the way through the Bielsa era, particularly when when he'd had promotion and particularly when you realised that something properly special was was in progress, was the fact that you wanted this to end well. You know, you wanted this to be bookend by a good conclusion. And even scraping survival on the last day of this season would have done him massive credit because it's two seasons where you've kept a squad up that was not vastly changed from the squad that you were using in the Championship, you, you got the club promoted, you'd given them two years in the Premier League, you'd given them a third season of Premier League income. Perhaps you were going to stay, perhaps you were going to go, but if you were going, it was perfectly bookended in the sense that you'd gone through four seasons and you left and it was it just had a nice, happy conclusion. And I think what nobody ever wanted was for it to end with the dismissal, you know, to end with a sacking. The idea of going down, you know, of, of just kind of saying bollocks to it and going down with him in charge. I mean, he might have kept the club up and I actually think anybody who says he could still have done it is, is valid argument. You know, he, he might do it, might prove that appointing Marsh isn't isn't the way to go and, and doesn't make enough of a difference. But unfortunately, the, the idealism of going down but being happy to go down or at least accepting relegation because Bielsa stays as manager is totally incompatible with modern football and, and modern Premier League football where clubs have a very high valuation which ownerships want to protect they have massive wage bills that they can't afford in the Premier League they have players whose valuations will drop you know like the, that of the club if they go down they have things like at Leeds stadium development plans which I'm not saying become obsolete or redundant but are much harder to implement and much harder to justify if, if you're down in, in the championship and ultimately relegation does leave somebody picking up the bill and that is why ownerships in the Premier League get twitchy so quickly I think the the issue with him taking us down as well was that you're not guaranteed another season out of him at that point, are you? I mean, you said before that after the the Derby playoff defeat, he was he kind of assumed he was on his way out after that, and I don't see that he would take us down and then stick around and and necessarily do it again in in the way that maybe Norwich have done with Farker when they they kind of accepted we're going down, but we'll 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 go again on it, and Burnley did with Deitch. It feels like the end of the season would have probably been the end of the road anyway, so you're left making a change in summer then instead and in a much obviously a much weaker financial position having to having to start from scratch again this is this is much more for part 2 of of this podcast i think but it seems to me that what people are struggling to take most is that this period has made them feel really special it's made them feel as a club very unique and suddenly it feels and this is no criticism of marsh at all or, or no reflection on him but suddenly as a lot of people have said it feels like going back to being every other Premier League club, you know, with differences and, and, and so on. But what you had and what what was unique about it has has gone. Final question in this section, and this is an awful question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bowl this one at go you on, anyway. Go on. Is it right to sack him? I don't know. I was asked this on the Athletic Podcast on Monday and it didn't seem to me to be a totally 
plausible strategy to do nothing because of the way the results have been going. But when it comes to it, it is only the right decision if replacing him and appointing Marsh means that they, they stay up. It's possible that having left Bielsa in charge, they would have gone down anyway, but it's equally possible that with him in charge, they would have made something of, for example, Villa and Norwich at home back-to-back in the space of four days. That could have could have served up two wins. I can't answer that. I'm really not sure. And we'll never know, will we? Really? That's but, the thing. N- no, no, not at all. But I think if they come out of this season having survived, then the board will be able to tell themselves that they did the right thing. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's talk about Bielsa and his legacy at Leeds United because we've seen a huge outpouring of emotion. Has it surprised you at all or did you expect to see a reaction like we've seen? No, I, I thought it would be like this and I think it's been accentuated by the fact that it has been a sacking in the end rather than a natural partner of ways. I think had it ended as everybody wanted it to end, which was at the conclusion of a season and in a summer where the club and, and Bielsa decided that they were going to go their separate ways and it was all fairly amicable and people could reflect on it in that way, a little bit like they did with Pablo Hernandez at the end of last season, then it, it might have been slightly more more muted. But I think the shock of the weekend um, contributed to it. And so did Bielsa himself. My experience of Leeds, going back through the years when I've written about them, is that the they're different to other clubs and it's quite intangible. It's quite hard to explain what it is about them that, that makes them different. But I don't, Leeds are sort of distinctly Leeds and I, I don't see a lot of what I see in Leeds in, in other clubs. And I think it does come down to soul. And I'm not saying that other clubs don't have soul. I just think that Leeds have one that is is very unique and is different. And they found in Bielsa, a manager who was a coach, person who was also completely different. And it almost extended the, the tradition of that. It did things differently. He, he was unusual with a lot of his methods. He was unusual with his approach to the media and his approach to referees and, and VAR. I mean, I was trying hard on uh, Monday to think if he ever, ever criticised a referee at any point, and I don't think he did. There were times where he got into the ribs of the FA for example, over the um, the Aston Villa game at home when there was all the argument over whether um, Conor Huran should have been sent off for punching um, punching Bamford. You know, that, that clearly upset him and he had a lot to say about it. But he was absolutely rigid in being able to come into a press conference after any game with any result. It, it's some fixtures in which he'd had some fairly baffling either VAR decisions or refereeing decisions and just leave it at the door and never never get involved. And he must have been angry in the background from from time to time. But all of that sort of stuff, it made Leeds think that they had something special. It made Leeds feel, I think more than anything, as if they had something that suddenly other clubs were envious of and other clubs and other fan bases would have wanted. And I don't think that was something that you could have said about Leeds really at at any stage in the previous 16 years. You know, Leeds have become a kind of subject of ridicule. And there was a lot of defiance internally, you know, the, the support fought against that and were as proud as they could be of the club. But Bielsa did this weird thing where people started to like Leeds. You know, people started to take an interest, not just globally, and the global interest was was really wide and, and became really massive, but also within the country. You know, fans of other of other clubs started to look at it and say, well, irrespective of who he's managing, I actually really like the football here. And then they would look at their own football and, and their own club and what was going on, and they would say, I wouldn't mind that here. That would be absolutely great. But the problem with Bielsa for other clubs was, firstly, that he was never going to manage anybody else in England. but Whereas with players, I mean, Leeds have had some quality players over the years, many of whom they've, they've had to sell. Players can be bought and a lot of managers can be bought, but you were never, ever going to be able to buy Bielsa. You were never going to get him out of here. So no matter how much you liked what was going on here, however much you looked at it and thought, it's like a bit of a cultural revolution in Leeds. You know, this is, this is like something you just don't often see um, with managers. If you want Leeds, it was never, ever going to be yours because you just wouldn't have it. And I, I don't know... I can say it confidently, I don't think he'll ever manage another club in the Premier League or in England. And I don't know if he'll ever manage anybody else now. I mean, it, it's for him to say and, and for him to know. But it's just it was just the perfect meeting of minds, I think. I, I was saying in the piece I did on Sunday, it was like chaos theory, where you had a head coach who a lot of people across the world said was unmanageable. You had a club who 
a lot of people in England, including a lot of Leeds fans, felt was basically unmanageable. And they collided and it was just absolutely glorious. The stuff you were saying about him being not taking another job in England is interesting because I think that was part of the, almost part of the joy of it was him being linked with jobs like Arsenal and Man United and jobs that truthfully, most other managers, you would have taken a look at him and you'd have gone, well, if they do want him, they could probably, they could probably take him. With Bielsa, you didn't worry actually. You just, you sort of went, well, that's just, that's stupid talk sport. Just, just making stuff up here. There's not a chance he's taking those jobs. And going on Twitter and seeing fans of those clubs go, well, if he gets an offer from there, of course he's going to he's gonna come. And you know, people with like Ronaldo as their avatar, that kind of thing. But yeah, we all knew. It was like, I described it this week as being like let into the world's best secret. We all knew he'd never go do that. He'd never go work for one of those clubs. But the modern Premier League fan has convinced themselves that money and status is everything. And they actually, also uh, wouldn't have had Bielsa, it's yeah. to say, with his, with his, uh, his various um, vagaries, but still. Well, exa- exactly. He runs complete. He was the complete antithesis to modern football, and I think that's why we loved him, and that's why he fit at Leeds. Because in many ways, Leeds is a bit of a throwback club in sometimes the worst ways, sometimes the very best of ways. Yeah, and and really authentic, and that goes for Ellen Road as well. You know, it's funny to think that there will come a time further down the line if Leeds do develop the stadium and modernise in, in many of the ways that they plan to, where they'll actually have far more in the way of selling points for a coach of his level. But I think he'll feel that he's been really lucky to see Ellen Road as it is, you know, to see Ellen Road as it is in sort of one of the last bastions of old-fashioned football as everything, everything strays into sparkling new stadiums and doing the things that the Premier League kind of demands that you do and, and, and following the herd. I mean, Michael was talking there about being linked to other jobs. He wasn't, was he? At, at no stage was he ever credibly linked to another position there might have been a bit of muttering here or there Spurs would quite like Bielsa this that the other the only way I could ever have seen it happening was if Leeds had caught him on the hop and let him go before he was ready and he thought to himself well actually I like it here and I'd quite like to have a crack somewhere else I think I think what other clubs might not have realised was the links you have to go to in order to accommodate him and also anybody who, who looked at him and thought I oh, will get him mid-season is totally misjudging the fact that when it comes to taking jobs, Bielsa thinks about them for weeks and weeks and months. I don't think in January you can say to him, do you want to come and take over at Arsenal? I just don't think he'd do it. He'd probably say to them, well, you know, I'd, I'd need ages to analyse your squad and decide who I like and who I don't. You know, I'd take my time. I'd never never jump into it. But it was never going to become a, a conversation because he would, he would never have exited of his own accord unless there had been... You know, unless there was something that went on, fallout or or whatever else, that meant that the relationship had broken down completely. But in terms of defection, he's probably the manager who you always knew was never ever on one random Wednesday morning going to roll up at Old Trafford or Anfield. And I think what made him, uh, he's not dead, so I should say what makes him <laughs> <laughs> um, such an enigmatic character is that you see these gestures and like giving the kids the lollipops and hearing these stories of him visiting people to say thank you for doing things for him. Like there's one guy who tweeted to say that he used to drop in Marcelo's favourite Argentinian and Chilean like tea and biscuits. Mighty James Rowlands, I'll give him a give him a mention. He used to fly, he works for British Airways, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, and he used to fly to um, Argentina. So he used to run to Buenos Aires. I think more than more often than not these days, it's Chile that he goes to. But he did, he used to fly home with um, Bielsa's favourite chocolates and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he dropped him off and then Bielsa, when he left, one of his final acts before he left Leeds after being sacked was to go to James's house and say thank you. So you see all these, these incredible stories of humanity. But then when it came to like the football side, you always got that kind of, that very um, matter-of-fact veneer. Like you say, he never criticised anything, he never got drawn into anything vaguely emotional like in the, in the post-match um, interviews or the press conferences or anything like that. But then every now and then, there was a little chink in the armour and you would see just these incredible displays of emotion. For example, the documentary when Leeds got promoted to see him embracing Calvin Phillips and moments that you just, you kind of, you're so glad you witnessed um, even secondhand. And then the, um, the other one is, I think, the emotion that we've, we didn't see it, did we? But all the people who went to see him at Thorpe Arch, and I include John Richardson in this, who we spoke to on one of our podcasts, who went up there to see him and he was too upset to get out of the car and that, I think, I think as a final, as a bookend of his, of his time at Leeds, to get that display of emotion, I think as kind of it's it's added to the myth. And when I say myth, I, I don't mean it in the sense that it's not real. I mean like the myth and the legend. He takes a, a huge amount of satisfaction from the way that football pleases 
the fans. And I think one of the reasons that he was able to let himself go with promotion was because he talks a lot and he can see himself that so much of professional football these days is wrapped up in money and commerce and self-interest and everything else. And it doesn't excite him. It doesn't please him. It's not, not what he likes. You know, you, you never, you could never pretend that he's working for free. You know, he's on a very, very big salary at Leeds, but he doesn't like the way in which money kind of infects. You know, he talked a lot latterly about the, the fixture list, how busy it was, and the fact that the reason for that was because people were making cash out of it. And, and a lot of the people who were making big money out of it weren't actually the players or, or the managers or the, the people actually involved in the games. But when it comes to the public, there's no investment there apart from emotional investment and investment of time and love and interest in him, in which they get nothing in return other than the results in the football, which he sort of, you know, pushes himself to deliver properly. I wrote in the piece a couple of weeks ago where I was, I was talking about, is this summer going to be the point where Leeds and Bielsa actually finally decide, look, maybe we'll, we'll go our separate ways. And clearly that was superseded by what's gone on this weekend. But I finished that piece of the story about a, a young boy called Harry who, who had a photo taken with Bielsa at Thorpe Arch. And I've actually had the chance to see the photo since. And it's Harry stood in front of Bielsa. Bielsa's got his hands on his face and the two of them are just grinning wildly. And it's it's a beautiful pic. So Harry wrote to Bielsa and said, would you sign this for me? You know, he sent his photo. To which Bielsa said, I will. And here it is and sent it back. But then said to him, I want you to sign a photo for me so that I can keep it with your signature on, which Harry, as far as I can tell, did, sent it back. And it's something that he can take away with him. And people don't often fall in love properly with managers, do they? Even managers who do well at clubs and, and, and so on, it it doesn't tend to go like this and it doesn't tend to endure like this and it doesn't tend to, to build up to the extent where Bielsa could come back on any day, any time and would just have crowds of people fighting to, to see him. It's like rock star status for somebody who is so far from rock star mentality, you, you almost can't explain it. There was a really a lovely lack of cynicism about it all as well with Bielsa because you sometimes see clubs pumping out kind of feel-good videos or whatever, which the the club could have done hundreds of with Bielsa. You know how he's helping. Cause we've been we've been kind of taking stories of him and how he's bringing people's ill parents and stuff. And they didn't. He, he wanted that kept out of the media. He was like he was doing this for himself, and he wanted that picture for himself. And it's not none of it was for show with him. It was all it was all genuine, and the emotions were kind of rare when you saw them from him. But when you when you saw them, you knew they were real, and that that meant it was meaningful. Yeah, it reminds me of you know when you see people, just as an example, um, helping a homeless person, but they're filming it all to put it on socials. It's the opposite of that, isn't it? It's like no, I don't want this putting out there. I'm doing this because it's the right thing so to do. Some of the, I mean, which people are now are kind of sharing now he is gone, but letters and stuff that he sent, where he he'd send kids signed shirts and stuff, and like I say, he's kind of speaking to people on you know. On, in hospital and stuff and he'd send them letters and stuff and it, it would always say on the bottom just, just don't put this on social media please and he'd go and visit people and say you can have pictures and stuff but if you could just not make a big deal out of it and that's lovely I think in an era when a lot of people would seek validation or seek like the I guess the easy win of being like look aren't I aren't I being a great guy here yeah he's, he's just a nice he's, person he's, because he's what, a nice person what I loved about it as well was that nobody at the club was ever going to interfere with any of it so if Bielsa invited random people to the training ground random people just came to the training ground and that was it and there was no argument with it and it was his domain and that's what happened if he wanted to write to people and send them letters or shirts or photos he just did it and it was done every every single morning. And again, there was never going to be any question of, well, you know, if, if we send signed shirts out to some people, everybody's going to want them. We're going to have this, that and the other. He just didn't, he would never have wanted to wanted to hear that because again, he would look at signed shirts and say, well, what is the value of this to, you know, a club or a manager versus the value of it to the supporter who will, will treasure it and, and will want it? And I think he got perfectly the mood and the attitude in Leeds, I think he understood perfectly what it was that people in Leeds wanted, which was a team they could respect and admire and, and ultimately love, but also a, a manager who was just in it in the same way that, that they were. Complete lack of ego. That's the thing, like, why why do we need to keep this shirt or why do we need to say no to this request? The only reason you would say no to that request is because you wanted to basically do a power move and demonstrate your own ego. You know, that's, a, that's at the root of a power move, isn't it? Like, I have control over this. You can't have that shirt. We're actually... That's never that was never or, on the agenda with Bielsa. Or because you think people are on the take. You know, you think people are saying, Oh, I'd you know, I'd love this. Get it on eBay. <laughs> well, yeah, no, yeah. no, absolutely. And you know, you do see a lot of I don't mean Legion United particularly, but you see a lot of club merchandise that does 
you know, sign stuff that does show up on eBay and, and, and people do. But it seems to me that if, if you got your hands on something that was signed by Bielsa and your first thought was to make money, well, it was, you know, to sell it, do that as opposed to keeping it, then you're absolutely insane. I mentioned the other day that the, the signed copy of our promotion special we did, I've not got a huge amount of valuable merchandise or, or kind of memorabilia at all, but that's one thing that I will really, really treasure. And I, I treasure it that much that unfortunately I can't look at it because it lives in a sealed jiffy bag. I, I was just going to say that is one of those things that for the rest of your life, you will constantly think, I hope nothing happens to that. Because Great grandkids it, will probably chuck it in a bin at some well, they, point. Well, they probably will, won't they? God, can't, can't really make that signature out. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but but you will. You you Whenever you think about that, the one thought that will be in your head is, I hope that never gets damaged or ever gets lost or, or anything like that. And if you do put it on eBay... Daniel will kill you. <laughs> it says, it's, it's got my name on it too, so that yeah. makes, that's kind I, of what, what doubles it as doubles the value of it to my eyes. Yeah, and I could only only sell mine to a Dan for it to be worth its full value. <laughs> but um, I was going to say actually, when we spoke to John Richardson earlier in the week, John brought a point up actually about what Bielsa has enabled us to do is to enjoy football as kids again. Like when you first got into it, without all the cynicism and the money being a factor, it was just a very it's kind of very pure, uh, very idealistic, very optimistic. And I think the reaction to him leaving. I can only draw a parallel to it being like losing your first love, like when you break up with your first love when you're a teenager or whatever it might be, and it feels like the end of the world because it's all rooted in idealism and optimism and you never see it ending, do you? And um, Moscow, actually, over on our show, said something about that in the last couple of days, is that we never saw past Biel, so we never knew what was going to come next. Even though I think we all sort of knew it would come to an end one day, we never really wanted to think about Nobody it. Nobody ever wanted to think about it. That that was the point because you knew that to talk about it in cold hard facts, the, the the biggest decision for Leeds since appointing Bielsa is how to replace him. What what do you do and how do you move on from that in a way that doesn't only allow you to be competitively successful, but still engages people. I mean, I got round to writing something I should have written a while ago, really, on Tuesday, which is that the more you look at this and the more you follow the reaction over the weekend. And the more you think about the fact that Bielsa has gone because, you know, it's about protecting Premier League status, how does the Premier League make you happy in the way that Bielsa seemed to make people happy? People were just like, happy to be in the bubble, which I think is why some were able to say, if we went down with him as manager, I, I would accept it because there was kind of more to it than Well, it, transcend- it, was, it transcended yeah, the Premier it, League, didn't it? Well, it did. And also just everything that the Premier League is about, which is like say commerce and sponsorship development, increasingly things like crypto these days. I mean, I mean, to, to ask you a question, nobody seems to like crypto. No support seems to like crypto. It, people are sceptical of it. People are worried about the fact that the regulation of it isn't, you know, isn't, it good, there, isn't good enough. No, it doesn't, doesn't really exest. So why I does, trust John Terry. <laughs> so, so why do so many clubs do sponsorship deals with crypto companies? Because it's money. Because it's money. That's the thing you see. And, in their slight defence, the way football is going and the way it's working, you need more money than ever to compete in a division like this. And the better you, you want to get, the more money you need to gain. And, and that's what it's all kind of focused on. Whereas with, with Bielsa, it was wider than that. People could listen to him for hours when he got going on his, his philosophy. His press conferences were always way more interesting when he was talking about philosophy or his philosophy and you know the sort of broader interest than it was when he was talking about Patrick Bamford's foot you know the, the injury stuff was just like right, okay and, and latterly it was different because the injury stuff was just dominating everything because it was so important to the team and, and results but initially it was kind of like right get the team news out of the way because he never really worries about who's in and who's out he just puts a team out and they play well all the time anyway and then you would get into the really interesting stuff about him and I just think it made people feel like they could enjoy it indefinitely and I think you're right I, even now I'm not sure any of us had properly got our heads around what it was going to look like when it all finished. His views on football as a whole were, in some ways, just incredibly simple and obvious. Oh well, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the, the thing. thing with it. Yeah, it, but it's, it was it was the stuff no one else was saying. No one no one else was saying. Well, we don't need any more money. Bales's opinion was very much: you get more money, you just chuck it on the fire with the re- with the rest of the the Premier League it, because that's all you do with it. You give yeah. it the money instantly goes back out on transfers, on wages. Yeah. On and then you then you go. Oh, we really have to go on this tour to so-and-so, so we can earn some more money. Again, again, a bad decision, but just chuck it on the fire and we'll, and we'll come back next season and we'll need more again. And he, he recognised that. And yeah. I think, I think yeah. it was refreshing to hear someone in a position of power actually saying, what's, the, what's this for? Well, yeah. it, it's like Emperor's New Clothes in the sense that everybody knows that there are far too many games and the fixture list is far too intense. 
So Bielsa sits down and says, too many games. And suddenly people who run the game, are, they're going, oh, he said it now, isn't he? He said it, somebody's actually said this, you know. <laughs> but it is, it's staring you in the face and it's, it is common sense, a lot, a lot of it. It's not to say he was right on everything. It's not to say that anybody would, would ever be right in the way that, that they see everything. But I think he probably as much as anyone was able to see football through the eyes of both a coach and a, a supporter. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And so to part three of the Phil Hay Show and Jesse Marsh, new uh, era has started at Ellen Rhodes, American head coach. An impossible job he's got in many ways. You don't envy him, do you? But he seems like he's up for it anyway. At, at no stage, as the Bale Serene got better and better and better, would I have particularly wanted to have been the coach who followed him. You almost feel that coach plus one is probably the way to come in with this. Certainly when it, it comes to the, the support and the club getting their heads around the fact that it is no longer Bielsa's city, really. It's you know it, It's moving on now and, and it is going passing to somebody else. But... It's an incredibly difficult situation to inherit and a hard legacy to to come on the back of. One of the things I, I don't know and I, I've been interested about this week is whether or not this would have happened had Marsh not been available. It, it's not been a secret over the last month, two months, that um, Marsh has been a, a kind of leading candidate, pretty much the leading candidate on the shortlist to replace Bielsa, looking ahead to the summer, assuming that Bielsa went. But it's obviously been expedited by the fact that the club have felt that they've had to make this change. And, and clearly with Marsh being out of work and being available and also with him and Victor Orta going back a long way. I mean, Orta, Orta first sort of became aware of, of Marsh or started looking at him closely about two years ago because Leeds were always in this situation where because Bielsa was on a 12-month contract, they had to have kind of ideas and plans for what they were going to do if, if there was going to be a change at, at fairly short notice. And Orta had looked at the data and analysed everything and looking at sort of 40 plus coaches in Europe, Marsh had come up as one of the most interesting out there, you know, in terms of potential and, and what he did and the way he played. And also there were quite close matches between what he did and, and what Bielsa did. It's not like for like in any way, but Marsh's teams were pressing teams. You know, they covered a lot of distance. They they would play with a lot of possession, although he didn't kind of fixate on it in the same way that, that Bielsa did. So they felt like it could be a, a, fairly, a fairly good fit. But I don't think that, Marsh would have anticipated being in at this point. I think he would have been thinking to himself that it was a possibility in the summer, but it has come around very, very quickly. And clearly there's, there is a high demand for very quick performance here because Leeds are two points above the bottom three and they have to make something of these last 12 games. Do we even have a conception of what we're going to see at Leicester? It, it, I just can't get my head around it because the Bielsa departure has obviously been all-consuming. We've seen... Jesse Marsh, you might have seen some of his tactical videos. I've watched a few this week trying to get a handle on what it is that he does and what we're likely to see. And it's interesting and you can see why they've gone for him in terms of, like, say, the pressing and stuff, Phil. But what is it What is it even going to look like when we take to the field against Leicester? Pass. I mean, the, the one advantage for him is that he's had a full week. You know, he was in the building on Monday. Um, they did, I think, pretty late training yesterday, which is Tuesday as, as we speak this week. Um, they've been for pizza as well, Phil. Pizza. Well, that, imagine that—that's carbohydrates. Maybe that's the solution. Solution to to everything. And um, okay, the, the basics. I think you'll see, and I would assume pretty quickly, a shift from man to man to zonal marking. So away from what Bielsa did off the ball to to a different system under under Jesse Marsh. You'll also see when it comes to pressing that they'll hunt in packs rather than hunting man to man. So they will try to they'll try to attack individual players with multiple bodies rather than having it one on one all over the pitch. 
to look at the data, and we've written about it today, you know, the, the kind of analysis of what he did at Leipzig and his, his previous style and, and formations and everything else. I'd be very surprised if we didn't see a break from 4-1-4-1. I, I can't see the logic really in, in sticking with that if he has a different way to go. And there aren't too many coaches who actually play that system. It was very, very Bielsa and it was very, very good for a long time. But I think it, it will it will change. Leipzig tended to win the ball further up the pitch than Leeds did under Bielsa. Bielsa used the wings a lot and liked to play out wide, um, liked to use rotation in those areas to pull things open. Marsh is far more about winning the ball and then attacking very, very quickly, i.e. through the middle, direct play. So I don't mean direct as in hoof ball, you know, long ball, but direct in the sense that once you got the ball, you're trying to create chances straight away. You know, it's it's kind of kind of straight, you know, straight into the attack. Players tend um, to aim for the penalty spot, don't they? I saw it in one of the videos. That's, yeah. that's right. So you'll find that the time it takes for, you know, his teams to create chances on the back of transition, so winning winning possession, is much shorter than it is for the, the average side. You know, that is one of one of the kind of kind of pillars of, of his football. So there will be a lot that needs to change and, and will change, I think, because it will have to be his style, you know. But it's interesting because one of our data guys, John Muller, did a great blog a couple of couple of months back about Marsh. And he was saying that when he went to Leipzig and replaced Nagelsmann, and actually that might not be bad experience for Marsh because Nagelsmann was a big figure at Leipzig. And, you know, likewise, you're following something incredibly successful. Leipzig had this, and the whole Red Bull stable have this reputation for pressing, really aggressive pressing. But actually, when you looked at the numbers... Nagelsmann had eased off slightly on that front, not massively, but had eased off a little bit and it had almost worked for them. And Marsh went in and, you know, the press increased again. It was more intense and it didn't work in terms of results. You know, Leipzig struggled. They lost players as well. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just that. And there were other things like COVID and and everything else. But there was, you know, one of the conclusions you could potentially draw was that he'd potentially slightly misjudged what the Bundesliga was or how it was that you were meant to play um, in the Bundesliga. And I think coming into Leeds... It's not that he's going to try and mimic what Bielsa does or retain everything that Bielsa does, but he might have to be slightly pragmatic in looking at how the squad is, what they do, what they can do, what they're good at, what they're not good at, and mix in his philosophy with some of what's been left behind. That's what he said in the initial interviews, isn't it? That um, they just want to imprint the basics on them from the get-go. So so what do we think those basics will be? Is that going to be positional sense? Maybe organising, like zonal marking? Because that is a departure from what Bielsa's done, as we just sort of says. Well, that would be something that you would have to work on pretty quickly and intensely to to sort out. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily difficult for players to go from man-to-man to zonal. The, some players at Leeds will have done zonal marking plenty of times in the past at, at other clubs and, and under different managers. But you can't forget that you've been ingrained in in the Bielsa system for four years now. And that is a long, long time. And and it was, you know, it was absolutely drilled into them. They were highly coached. They were highly trained and there will need to be a bit of a departure from some of that. So I think the pressing off the ball will be, you know, the, the attempt to win possession in areas where you can, you know, you can turn it over quickly and attack quickly will be the thing I'll look for at Leicester. I think that is one of the things that will need to, to kick in pretty pretty rapidly if, if Marsh is going to be a success in this season. The team selection and just how we line up, I think, is the main thing I'm looking forward to seeing because, I mean, particularly towards the end, Bales has had certain aspects that have been criticised quite a bit. People have wanted to see more of Gelhart, the the midfield with Click or Cock or Strauch or someone in that in that kind of holding midfield role that's not ever really worked. To so seeing how he approaches that from with fresh eyes and how he sees a way of now controlling that, I think is interesting. Because he has played the four two three one a fair bit, hasn't he? As well, he, um, he has, which means it could be one up front. Um, and obviously, there's a lot said about the four two 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 that he had at, at Salzburg, uh, and that I guess opens the possibility that you could start to pair when he needs to recover from injury first. But you could start to think about pairing. Bamford and Rodrigo or Bamford and Gelhart or Rodrigo and, and Gelhart, you know, rather than just the lone striker with out and out wingers, you could start to mix it up a little bit and, you know, in some ways create more of a, a forward line filled with forwards rather than a forward line that has a, a centre forward and two wingers. And, you know, I, I would say again, no criticism of that because of how well it worked for Bielsa. You know, it was a great system um, for him. But it does, there are, there are ways, put it this way, there are ways in which Marsh could do things differently and bring other players into it. It'll be interesting to see how we perform in the coming weeks um, against sides that play two up front because that always felt like it was uh, our kryptonite to a certain extent in that we, we were never quite as good, even though the, the data bore it out that we were you know, we won 75% of games against teams that play two up front. We never quite looked as effective under Bielsa when we were playing that three at the back. 
No, and I don't think there's any way that Marsh will switch from four at the back to three at the back, depending on how many forwards the, the opposition have up front. But how exactly they're going to line... I mean, we'll, we'll speak to him. He's due to speak tomorrow, which is Thursday, at his, his first press conference. I mean, this will be some of what we, we get into, is what is he actually going to do at Leicester? And how easy is he going to find it to pick a team? You know, is he, is he going to have to take advice from other people who are a bit closer to it and have been closer to it for a while and can can kind of guide him on what's what to do, what not to do, what, what he might want to think about? Or is he already 100% clear in his head about how he's going to put the team together? Because, you know... All joking aside, there was nobody telling Bielsa which squad to, or team to pick against Stoke. He knew 100% what he was he was going to do for that game. But he had the benefit of five, six weeks of pre-season and training. Do you think he's going to go down well with Leeds fans? Because he's obviously got a, a long way to go in terms of being as loved as Bielsa. You can easily he's, argue he's, that he, nobody will. He's never going to be as loved as Bielsa, no. is he? Nobody is, is going to be unless we happen to stumble into another sort of exceptional period like this further down the lane. Well, well I, kind of, um, I ask it because we've, this is the week where we've seen Mike Riley, the head of the PG MOL, which runs the referees, personally apologising to Frank Lampard. And that's off the back of Frank Lampard and Everton putting in an official complaint about the refereeing decisions they've seen recently. And there can't be a Leeds fan out there because of all the recent history with Lampard and what he's like as a person and what he's perceived like as Leeds fans. who's thought, oh, get lost. And then they've got an apology. And... You could argue maybe Leeds might have fared better had we moaned a bit more, but then Bielsa's lack of moaning is always held up as a virtue. And I wonder how that'll be received if Jesse Marsh decides to say, well, the referees let us down today. Will will Leeds fans go for that? I don't know what his moaning record is like. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Um, from his demeanour and what I've read about him and the way he talks, he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who's going to come out and, and rant too much about referees. Although I think he will inevitably have more to say about decisions in refereeing than Bielsa did because Bielsa never had anything to say about it apart from they have a really difficult job and we need to need to help them and Bielsa that was, was, that was, was on repeat he was superhuman in his restraint wasn't uh, he absolutely when, when the, sometimes you'd in the face of an absolutely glaringly terrible decision and he'd just come out and go well it's it a, is difficult it's isn't a hard it? job <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else would be going come on you've got to mention this but he, that, again it came to become one of his one of his strengths didn't it but I think there were a lot of aspects of Bielsa that were like that in the way that if you said to him this striker doesn't finish enough he would say to you but yeah but that's not what winning games is about you know even though everybody says well if you stick the ball in the back of the net you win games no it's it's much more of a process and it's much more of a complete machine and there's far more that goes into it than just has somebody missed the chance from six yards out and I think it's a little bit the same for him with refereeing yes you can moan about this stuff but there's a much you know there's much more to a game or a season um, there is just um, referees. I don't think Marsh will lead the fight against the the authorities. I wouldn't have thought. How much he's going to be liked is going to depend entirely on how well they play and how good the results are. And there really is nothing more to it than that. Well, I asked Michael on our show earlier this week what represents uh, a good return from Leicester. Not necessarily just in points, but in terms of performance as well. And I'll throw the same question to you, Phil. What what makes uh, the game against Leicester a success? To be right in it all the way through I think any result from it will be a good start even a point would definitely be a good start from that because it's not an easy fixture but I think to be in it and to be right in it and to still be in it at the end even if you're losing the game to not be 3-0 down 4-0 down to, to be looking like you're out of it before you've really got into the, the depths of, of the game but there won't be many weeks in which we'll be able to talk about good performances and, and bad results and I think Leicester feels to me like it's leading into the period on which an awful lot is hanging, which is Villa Thursday night, Norwich Sunday, both at home, both back-to-back games that Leeds have have got to cash in on. And in terms of pure practicalities, imagine what a new manager bounce would do for us now if we were to win at Leicester. I mean, that'd be huge, wouldn't it? But all the way along, we've been saying that it only ever has been a couple of results this from feeling like everything was in order and, you know, to almost going back to where we started with this poddy that, you know, the Newcastle game was almost the one, wasn't it? It was right. And if, if you revisit Bielsa's quotes after that, he said, and when he, you know, following week when he, he spoke about it, he said a few times, that was a big game. That was a key game. I understand why people are unhappy. And you could tell that he was thinking himself, we needed to win that. You know, we needed to get something from that game because it would just have put the lid on absolutely everything and if they were to have a good week draw with Leicester beat Villa beat Norwich nobody's going to be saying that Leeds are going down No and do you think that 
would obviously help to heal the feelings around Bielsa because it's a complicated set of emotions, isn't it? And no matter which way this season goes, there's always a counter argument to say it was the right the right decision or the wrong decision. You know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, there's no easy way to answer that because it in no way is it purely about our leads go, staying up or going down. That's not that's not the be all and end all of it. Most of the time, when you replace a manager, the argument that brews is we would be, be better off keeping them from a performance point of view or are we better off changing because we're we're in, in trouble and, and let's be honest most sackings tend to come when clubs are, are underperforming um, so performance is what you're looking at but I don't think there's an awful lot which will change people's despondency or disappointment that it has ended for Bielsa and they've, that they've lost him specifically and you know people can divide people can take that away from football really it's not just about the football it's about him it's about the fact that they admired his ethics and his morality and his attitude they liked him a lot and when you have people at a club who you like you don't want to lose them and that is not always about results just thinking back to last season when we used to do the feature at the end of the show uh, one to watch it's just popped into my mind that I think the one to watch for this game is probably Rafinha I think he's going to be an interesting litmus test of the feeling within the squad because it does feel to me Maybe this goes back to the substitution around Everton and the fact that they've had words that's been reported. Him and Bielsa had a discussion off the back of that to see what he brings to the game at Leicester, whether he looks like he's got it back in him or not. There was frustration there, definitely. Rafinha wasn't delighted to be substituted like that at Everton. Um, Him and Bielsa did speak the week after, but Bielsa stuck to his guns really and dropped him against Man United. Um, He is exactly the sort of player who needs to come back into, into form um, in a in a big way to to help with these last twelve games, I also think something to watch is how quickly the injured players come back now because I just wonder whether Marsh might be more inclined to gamble on a ninety percent Phillips or an eighty five percent Bamford or a ninety five percent Cooper on the basis that that is the spine of the team and and they really really are needed um, at this point. I think it may well be that it's a little bit easier to push them now or to, you know, to take slight, no, I don't know about take slight risks with them, but for them not to have to hit the same targets that everybody had to hit in order to, to get into the team. I wonder if it might accelerate their return. If only we still had John Kevin Augusta. Could have, <laughs> he could have finally got off that running track. Well, well, well we, uh, weirdly enough, Augustine was one of the people who tweeted, you know, over the weekend to, say, know. You know, to say how much he liked Bielsa, which was quite honestly baffling to me. Well, it, I mean, but, it, was, um, it was MB and some applauding hands, so let's not, over. Well, yeah, but even that I found surprising, if I can say that. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, time's a healer. I feel like all, all we need to do for, between now and the end of the season is concede one goal in most games, and we'll actually we'll probably be fine if yeah. we, if we can do that. That probably actually keeps us up because we've got if Rafinha's back on form, if Bamford's back in team, James looks dangerous. Rodrigo can get goals. We've got Gelhard to either start or come off the bench. There's enough there. Generally speaking, at teams that are in the sort of bottom three or four. You look at them and you think, well, where are the goals coming from? And that's not really the problem that we have. Yeah, This is not a bad side at Leeds. I, th- I think what's become apparent in the last week or so is that when you get into the discussion of finding three teams who look worse than Leeds, there probably aren't three at the moment who look worse than Leeds. Leeds are in a real, real rut and losing games badly. But I still think that the, you know, the basis of enough results to stay up is there. I mean, quite apart from my whole identity and well-being wrapped up in this, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. If I could be objective about it, I'd probably enjoy it more, but yeah, strap yourselves in. <laughs> well, it's not easy to enjoy because the two points above the bottom three, so the, there is the, the tension in the background of that and there is the stress of it. And if it don't go well under Marsh or if it doesn't start well, then it is potentially not that long till they're actually in the bottom three and it, and it all starts to, to crystallise. But as we've been saying... There is plenty of scope for it to go rapidly in the opposite direction, which is have a really good week this week and it will calm everything down. Um, it definitely will. And I think that I think that 100% needs to happen. Well, let's hope we're in a happy place next week. I mean, we'll have to work around the Villa game, won't we? Because we normally record on a Thursday. And yes. On a Thursday, going back to the Premier League, money grabbers and so on and so forth. But um, we shall see. We shall see. Um, but we will definitely be back next week to analyse the start of the Jesse Marsh reign. Fingers crossed it goes well, eh? Yes. We won't see anything like Stoke again, will we? I think that's the thing. There won't be that new manager bounce. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that will be Saturday. No, I suspect not, no. <laughs> Doesn't matter though. You never know. You never know. And that's the beautiful thing about football. We will return next week. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. The Phil Hay Show.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.